Welcome to Ideas with Lex, a podcast to help you become that go-to person who can think on their feet or even invent that side hustle project that brings in cash and kudos. G'day and welcome to our Ideas with Legs session today. And in this session today, I wanted to go into a little bit of a different type of territory. And the territory I wanted to cover was the mind. I mean, I know a lot of people know that when it comes to generating great ideas that the mind is involved, but the part of the mind I want to investigate today is the part of the mind that stops us, the part of the mind that says it's too hard, that we don't have the skills, we don't have the abilities, and stops us often before we even begin. Now, this might not be the individual case for you. You might be great at going out there and innovating or creating that next game-changing new idea or product, but for most of us, myself included, we often come across an obstacle and the hurdles of our own thinking. And it's kind of interesting when we think about our own brain or our own mind is often our own worst enemy. So in this session, I specifically wanted to unpack a technique called self-efficacy theory. And self-efficacy theory is, even though it might sound like a bit of a mouthful, a really powerful tool, psychological tool that we can use to help challenge the faulty thinking that can go in our mind that can convince us to give up before we even start on our next new project. And you know what? The reality is that there are far too many brilliant ideas that are sacrificed because of our own self-defeating thinking. So what we're going to do in this session is we're going to unpack some of the ways that we can use self-efficacy theory to improve not only our performance in day-to-day work, that might be in being able to be more productive, it might be in being more confident in doing public speaking, but also from my perspective, what I'm really interested in is in helping people so that they can get over those hurdles so they really can turn a brilliant idea into some commercial product, process, or service. So if that sounds like you're interested in that, then stay tuned because we're going to make it easy and lots of fun. So let's start with this whole concept of what is self-efficacy. And in, a, I guess, a very basic way, someone who has low self-efficacy often believes that tasks are harder than they actually are. And they often see negative situations as being outside of their control. And I've often been in this situation myself where I've wanted to create a new a new idea for a business or a new service or a new process. And just, you know, the idea might come to me, but then when it starts to think about all of the activities that I'm going to have to execute, I start thinking, oh, it's way too hard for me. Let's start tomorrow or even better, maybe I'll do that next week or the next month or the next year. And as you can imagine, those ideas then can fall by the wayside. So self-efficacy, having either low self-efficacy or high self-efficacy is something that does happen in the wider world. So you'll find some masters out there who do have a high level of self-efficacy. Uh, that would be someone who sees difficult tasks as something that they want to master. 
versus avoid. And they tend to see obstacles as something that stimulates them into more effort. And um, so if that sounds like you, cool news is you've probably got some high self-efficacy. If, however, you find that you see tasks as often being a little bit harder than they are and uh, that you don't have the skills or the abilities to do that, then your self-efficacy is likely to be a little bit lower and you'll find it a little bit trickier to stick with a project or to look at turning an idea into something of reality. So this technique will be useful to you. Uh, When it comes to self-efficacy, it was created by a psychologist called Albert Bandura. And it was very groundbreaking in its time, even though it's been around, oh, gee, for well over 40 years now. Uh, Often something that has been around for that length of time, you might think, is not powerful or not effective. And yet, when you get a great principle, it will work timelessly. And that's the same when it comes to self-efficacy. And there are five core elements to self-efficacy. The first is around experiencing mastery. The second is around modeling someone else's behavior. The third is around social persuasion. The fourth is around physiological factors. That is the feelings that you feel in the body. And the fifth core element is around the perception or how we perceive our own abilities. And we're going to unpack each one of them to see and show how you can use them to deal with those obstacles that might be preventing you from creating that next game-changing idea. So the first one, experiencing mastery, is about how can you physically and emotionally experience what it would feel like to achieve or to master a particular activity or role. So here's the problem is that often when we're going to be doing something new, inventing a new product or a new service or a new process, there are invariably going to be activities that we haven't done before. And so it's easy to go, oh, I don't know how to do this or I don't know how um, how to go about it. And, and, you know, quite rightly so, there's parts of us that are thinking, well, it's never been done before. How am I going to actually achieve or make that happen? And so what we want to do when we're stuck and we've got that self-talk that's saying, I don't know how to do it, is we want to look for a small piece to enable us to experience some sort of mastery. So if we can get some sort of experience that actually I'm getting some success, even though it's a small amount in one component, that's going to help us to shift our mindset than to have no success whatsoever. So a good way to think about this is what would be the smallest divisible unit of an activity that you're working on that would enable you to get some success. Or as we say for the cricket-loving nation in Australia, how can we get some quick runs on the board? Let me give you an example about this. Uh, I remember many years ago, I was struggling with uh, face-to-face sales, even though I had a pretty successful business. When times got a little bit slow, I had a bit of an aversion to going out there and doing face-to-face sales. It was just something I didn't really like doing, didn't feel like I needed to do. There were some beliefs going on. But what I needed to do was to get more business development happening that would help me lead to having more sales. And so one of the things that I did was looking at breaking down 
some of the marketing that would enable me to get a face-to-face meeting so I could do my face-to-face sales. And as you can imagine, often we've got other things that we want to work on, a new shiny white box, invent the next new product, but you've got to focus on generating some business, or at least I did at that time. And so when I looked at what was, rather than looking at all of the tasks I needed to do in marketing, I thought, okay, what's one thing, one very small activity that I could focus on that would give me a sense of success and mastery each and every day? And so what I realized was a simple way I could do better business development was by sending out a compliment slip. That's a you know little card that says, hi, Lisa, it's Nils here. It was so nice to meet you the other day, or I heard about you. Uh, it was great to find out about you. Um, love to connect sometime. Um, you know, here's a website that might help you uh, in your business, whatever it might be. And so what I would challenge myself to do every morning then would be when I, as soon as I would open up the computer would be to pull out a compliment slip and to write down uh, a quick little note to someone who was on my mind. And it took no more than 30 seconds. I'd do another one a little bit later on. And then later in that day, I would post those envelopes out. Now, that might sound like a really minimal activity. And you'd think, really, would it have an impact? And it did, because as soon as I had those little compliment slips going out the door, it gave me a reason to then follow up and call that client a week or so later and say, hi, Lisa, it's Nils here. Hey, just wanted to check up. I'm going to be around uh, the city uh, next week, um, just down the road from your offices. Thought it'd be great to catch up for a cup of coffee to share what I've been up to. How's that sound? And because Lisa had got the compliment slip and I was sort of front of mind, she said, oh, yeah, no, thank you so much for that little slip. I checked out that website. It was really valuable. Love to catch up. Um, My shout. Let's see you at 11 o'clock next Tuesday. Um, So the point of this little story is that not only was this a good marketing activity, um, a little tiny habit that would lead to larger habits, It also gave me a sense of success and mastery each and every day that actually, you know what, I can do this. I can get more sales by doing these simple little processes. So that is the first activity around self-efficacy is trying to identify what's something that you can master so that you get the sense of mastery. Again, it's not about trying to master the whole thing, but what's a small component that you can use that will enable you to um, to get the feeling that you're mastering this new creation of a new product or a new idea or whatever that might be. Self-mastery by experiencing the smaller components. Cool? Okay. Now, so that was the first core element of self-efficacy. The second core element of self-efficacy is what we call modeling. And modeling, no, it's not like voguing or putting on some high heels or some fancy clothes and doing the catwalk. This is about when we model someone else's behavior. And this is a really simple yet effective tool. So usually when we think of other people, we play the comparison game. And I've been there and, uh, you know, I fall into this trap quite often where I look at someone and I that I respect or I admire and I go, oh, they would be fantastic. Um, Sorry, they're just so good at what they do. I could never do that. 
And before you know it, my self-talk's telling me I'm not good enough, uh, I don't have the skills, I don't have the capabilities of doing it. And sometimes when we do this comparison piece, what we do is we find someone that, you know, quite rightly so could be, you know, much more experienced than us. They might actually have more skills. They, they may have been working in that industry or in that role for a long, long time. And what a much more effective technique to do is to look at someone who might have a similar set of skills. So who do you know, I often say, who do you know that is no smarter than you are, but is seems to be doing something that you want to do? Um, and and to, to give you an example of this, I remember um, a number of years ago, there was a colleague of mine who just seemed to get out and do, uh, that is create uh, great workshops and great public events. And um, at the time, I wasn't really doing that many public events. And it would be easy for me to have compared myself to, you know, someone who'd been doing running public events for 20 years and go, oh my God, you know, I'll never be as good as them. Or how did they get so many people to their event? But what I did instead was pick someone who was very new onto the scene, who didn't have much marketing experience, didn't have a great track record of um, being an expert in their particular field, but they were just going out there and running their events. And so they had the same skill set as me. They were no smarter than I. In many ways, they were even a lot more inexperienced than me, but they were going out there and doing it. And when we do that, we can actually say to ourselves, if they can do it, I can do it. And it, it, I know it sounds really, really simple, and yet it works. Uh, another type of story about this, I just came back from competing in the World Championships in hang gliding in Italy. Hang gliding, if you're not aware of what that sport is, imagine a giant kite and uh, a person attached to it on a carabiner on a harness, and they jump off cliffs and mountains and they fly away. And um, so one of the the challenges with this World Championships that was being held in Italy, in Australia, where I live, we don't have many mountains. Uh, The mountains that we have are fairly small compared to Europe or or North America, where they've got some very high, steep mountains. And so part of my fear is like, oh, I have no mountain experience. I'm not going to be good at flying these really high mountains. So what I said to myself was, Okay, who was someone who went to the to fly in the Italy pre-worlds? That's the competition that's held a year before the World Championships, who did quite well, but doesn't come from a country where there are big mountains. And so I looked on the international ladder and I thought, oh, okay, this was someone who went really well. Actually, didn't I beat this guy um, in a championships when I was flying when they came out to Australia? And don't they come from a country where it's really flat and very little hills and very little mountains? So what I did is I went looking again for someone who had the similar skill level, no more experience than me, no smarter, no better, and yet they were doing it. So my mindset was, if they can fly the mountains, I can fly the mountains. Modeling, it really does work. So let's bring that back to innovation or any other sort of type of project that you might be going. So you're thinking about the project, 
Who out there that do you know who is not that experienced, uh, doesn't have any more skill set than you that have just gone out there and done a similar thing to what you are about to do? Modeling works. Okay, so we've spoken about experiencing, mastering, and modeling. The third core set that we can talk about in self-efficacy is around social persuasion. And this, simply put, is having the encouragement from other people. And as simple as that might sound, it's not always that easy to get, uh, especially in the business environment when we often can feel like we're in a competitive environment where other people might be gunning for your job or you might think, you know, I'm the I'm the young gun or um, that's the old salt over there or I'm the old salt and that's the young gun and, you know, you're wondering, worrying if someone's going to steal your job. Um, we might not find that other people around our workforce are going to do that. So what we can do and what I encourage people to do is to look for a peer group that have people with um, that might be working to a similar sort of project or a similar type of challenge that you can use for moral support to talk about the skills and trade ideas. Um, one of the things that we do a lot with our clients is to broker a rain. Oh, broker is probably not the right word. Is to arrange meetups between different uh, different people, different innovators. Uh, within different companies so that they can meet other people that are having similar challenges and share with them some of the things that they're going. And mostly it's about helping them to realize that they all have the skills to be able to solve those problems. Um, So yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way to go about this is to look at creating a small meetup group if you don't have one or asking around and creating one. And if there isn't one in your organization, uh, it, it would make you look very good by creating this little group. It doesn't have to be formal, but informal will set up. Other ways that you can do this is through having mentors or coaches. I know one of the some of our mentor clients, um, mentoring clients that we work with, love the idea of having that impartial person who can reaffirm the skills that they've got the abilities to do it. But yeah, so you could either be doing it on your own or with others. But social persuasion does work. Okay, the fourth simple core element to self-efficacy is around physiological factors. And this is about knowing that uh, when we are in a particular situation and our mind start to say, starts to say to us, we can't do this, it's too difficult, uh, this is you know beyond me, we'll often find that there are physical sensations that come on as well. So it might be a shallow breath that happens. It might be an increased heart rate. It might be tension through the back of the neck. It might be tension through the legs. It might be a twitching eyelid or it might be a change in your voice or your vocal cords. Uh, it could be you know, a tightness in the stomach or in the abdominal, the diaphragm region. Um, these are all what we would say common physiological factors or responses to stress. Now, a lot of people think stress is bad. No, stress is actually a really good tool. It enables us to deal with a stressful, threatening situation to get things done. However, sometimes if we don't understand that it's a positive response to enable us to get through a stressful situation, we think, oh, it's bad because I feel a bit uncomfortable. I've got sweaty palms, I'm feeling nervous and anxious and worried. 
So what we do in the self-efficacy component for this is rather than think, oh, there must be something wrong with me. There's no way that I can do this because I've, my heart is pumping incredibly fast or I feel really nervous or I've got this incredibly tight uh, legs and I'm really, really stressed out. What we do instead is to say, this is a common response for anyone in this situation. It's quite common for them to feel tight, it's a natural bodily reaction to the situation that I'm in. It's not me. It's a natural body reaction. Uh, okay, so let me give you an example for this. Um, I'm going to keep rolling with this hang gliding competition story because I was just uh, in Italy not that long ago. And one of the things that I would find, there were some quite intense stressful, scary situations. And uh, what would happen is there's a phenomena that we talk about in hang gliding where you're lying in a harness, but you start to point your toes. Now, pointing the toes starts to create a tension through the back of the legs. You get very tight legs and um, your buttocks sort of start to clench and you get really, really anxious. And it's a, it's a fear response for being scared of not being able to make it to the next mountain or having nowhere to land or that you're going to smash into a, a rock face or being too close to other people. And if you were not aware that it was a natural type of reaction, it would be easy to think, oh, no, I'm, I'm too nervous. You know, everyone else seems really calm and relaxed and you know, I'm going to have to give up. It's too, it's too, it's too stressful or too scary for me. And yet, when faced with that situation, using the self-talk is, oh, I'm feeling tight in my legs. This is a natural response to the situation I'm in. It doesn't necessarily change the situation, but it takes away the thinking that can exacerbate the situation. So it's not like you're pouring any oil on the fire and making it even worse. It's like, okay, it's natural for me to feel a bit stressed, to feel a bit of tension through the back of the legs. And just by being aware of that and using that self-talk, it then uh, sort of relaxes the legs and you actually are a little bit more, um, uh, not distracted by the nervous tension, but rather you can focus on the task at hand, which was to fly safely. So let's bring that back to this concept of a project. So let's say, for example, you've got to do a pitch about a new idea or this new project that you might have on, uh, some plans for. And there's a part of you that's going, oh, no, I can't do this talk. Um, I'm not going to pitch because I feel too nervous. What you could rather say to yourself is, uh, even though I'm feeling some tension in my belly and some some elevated heart rate and um, uh, you know some some uh, nervousness in my in my voice. This is a natural response to anyone who would be presenting, and I can tell you this from experience. I've been speaking for ooh, close to 20 years publicly, and you know whether it's 3,000 or three people, there's always some nervousness and tension that's going to be out there. So. Yeah, so the self-talk, saying this is a physiological response, it's a physical sensation that does not reflect my lack of ability. Just because you're getting nervous does not mean you do not have the ability to enable to deal with things there. All right, so we've spoken about experiencing, mastering, modeling, social persuasion, and physiological factors. The fifth and final component 
is around the perception of ability. And in a nutshell, this is about being able to see that you have the ability to acquire a new skill to improve rather than, well, I don't have that capability now. I don't have that skill, so I can't do that. And I remember Oh, a while. I can't remember when it was. It seemed years and years ago, but I, I spent some time working, uh, getting some sales coaching advice. And one of the, the great things that um, this mentor of mine had said is that, Nils, uh, you always have the ability to learn and improve on a particular skill. And, you know, he kind of challenged me, said, do you think it's, you know, that you can't ever improve on a skill? And I said, well, not really. I mean, you can always improve on your technique. And he said, so could you get better at selling? And I said, sure. So um, it's about trying to understand what your existing skill level might be, but that you have the ability to acquire the new skill to improve rather than saying it's impossible to change. And I think it's uh, Carol Dweck, a psychologist um, from the States who talks about this sort of difference between fixed mindset and those that are open to the ability of improving those different things there. So what you might do when you're working on a project is to look at what skills you could be improving on. Uh, let me let me give you again another one of these uh, some some examples. So for me, when I was sort of trying to look at ways I could get better at selling million dollar programs with companies and organisations, I said to myself, "Well, I can learn to get better at handling objections. I can learn." to get better at understanding what a customer's frustrations and needs are. I can learn to become more natural cold calling a client. I can learn to be more natural asking for a sale and asking for a decision rather than waiting in a limbo and not knowing whether to move forward or to stay there or not. Um, When it came to this most recent competition, I had quite a fear around uh, flying in what we call gaggles. So you've heard of the term a gaggle of geese. When we have these competitions, often you'll have lots of people flying in one particular thermal. A thermal is a big column of rising air, which uh, enables us to get higher. And so sometimes you can have anything between 20 to sometimes 40 gliders circling um, trying to get up faster than each other. And, you, you know, you are, in some places, when you get very close, you know, uh, 30 centimetres, um, the closest I've ever been, hopefully I've never touched anyone, but you can be metres away from people. And it, it can be quite, quite scary. And I remember before this competition, I had a bit of a fear, especially in the international world championships where you have so many more pilots the fear that um, I was going to hit someone and the fear that I couldn't fly gaggles. So my self-talk was saying, I'm not good, I can't fly gaggles. And yet for this competition, my mindset changed to, I have the ability to to get comfortable flying with other people in close proximity. I have the ability to get better at focusing on flying without worrying about someone else's position that might be close to me or around me. And yeah, it worked. Uh, It definitely, I felt the most comfortable I've ever been 
um, flying with so many people around me there and it definitely improved my result. Um, so that is perception ability. So let's bring that back to an innovation or a project example. You might be thinking, hmm, I don't have the ability to prototype, um, that is to test a pilot or a concept, an idea. So you could say to yourself instead, I have the ability to learn how to test something quickly at low cost with high gain. Um, I can learn to uh, to run a quick little user group to uh, assess the validity of this idea or this proof of concept. So doing those different activities can really help to change our performance by turning what might be an obstacle into a potential success or a potential stepping stone. And uh, generally, it just makes life so much easier. One thing that can really help around all of these things, especially around the perception of ability to add to it, is the idea of adding mental and emotional rehearsal. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the concept of mental rehearsal. That is, if you can imagine in your mind what it would be like, let's say, if you're, um, let's say, well, hang gliding might not, let's say you're shooting some hoops in basketball, you can imagine the ball going through there and practicing shots. And the research that has happened in countless studies around the world that mental rehearsal of a technique does improve your performance of this technique. But probably in the last 10 years or so, there has been a lot more research into the science of emotion and how understanding the role that emotion plays in creating the neurological network or the connections you have in your synaptic connections in the brain. Um, and by that, what I mean is when we add emotion, what we do is we strengthen a neural connection in the brain. So whether it's good or bad, we will wire it. So we often say that add enough emotion, um, you're going to hardwire a, a connection in your brain the way, it's circuit, the way the circuit works. So what this means is if we're trying to imagine ourselves doing a new pitch to a group, so it might be the night before or the day before you've got to do a presentation or pitch, not only do we want to mentally go through what it would look like when you're standing up there, seeing the audience in front of you, maybe you've got a, a digital projector going on or you're drawing on a flip chart or you've got some physical concept that you're showing, you also want to know what that would feel like. So, and the good and the bad. So understanding what it would feel like when you're standing up, the, the nervousness that might be the slight butterflies in the belly. It might be then you saying to yourself mentally, um, this is just a natural physiological response. This is the way the body reacts to things. It might be the feeling of the, um, the wind on your face or the, the sound of the air conditioner the feeling of excitement when you start to unpack the different ideas, um, the feeling of uh, what feeling it might be that, that might come to you when someone asks a question and having to navigate through that whole experience and the feeling what it would feel like at the end of the presentation when people applaud or give you a clap or um, you finish and you start to pack up. The more emotion you can add, so emotional rehearsal plus mental rehearsal uh, will increase your 
ability to roll out that presentation or to conduct your activity, whatever it might be, with much more confidence and certainty and um, a better mindset than you do those different things. Okay, I know I've kind of been harping on a little bit and it might be a little bit different to some of the podcasts I've done before, but I do know that obstacles are an absolute reality of life and yet often we make those obstacles much, much more difficult than they actually are. Whereas if we can start to embrace this concept of self-efficacy and look at ways of building that by experiencing mastery in small components, getting those small little wins uh, quickly so that we can remember what it's like to master something, about understanding the concept of modeling someone else's behavior. If they can do it, I can do it. If we can create or have the support of other people who will create social persuasion, encouragement from other people and other mentors, that can help us as well. When we can be aware of the physiological factors, that is that knowing that physical sensations, tension, nervousness are a natural uh, phenomena and do not reflect any lack of your ability. And finally, when we can get clear of our perception of the ability to learn, the ability to improve, the ability to gain and uh, master a new skill, then you are right on track to making your next brilliant idea a commercial reality. Thanks again for your time. If you loved it, um, please let us know. If you've got any questions, forward them through. Until next time, make those ideas happen. And thanks for listening. So that's it from this episode, but be sure to subscribe for more strategies on how to turn ideas into income. And please rate and review us so that we can deliver the goods next time.